You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Hello, everybody. Come on in. Welcome to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so glad you guys are here. It is another fantastic week uh, in the world in general, Allie. I guess I'm, I feel a little excited this morning uh, over here in Calgary. You're in Toronto. I always like to say that off the top so people know where we're coming in from. But mm-hmm. it's been such a great couple of sports days. I, I'm just launching right into the sports stuff, even Do though it. I got to say there's you know, when you're, I don't know if you've ever lived in a condo and they clean your windows and a man just drops out of nowhere, a man just <laughs> dropped out of nowhere in front of my window. So I'm a little rattled right now. He's just hanging. <laughs> well, you're, ha- you're handling it. You're handling it with grace and pressure. So well oh done. Oh my God. Like no warning. I've never <laughs> seen a notice in my elevator, which is what they usually do. But anyways, I'm going to pretend he's not there. And we're going to continue on because we have a lot of great things to talk about. I want to mention right off the top, obviously it is the opening season in the NFL and we have an outstanding guest coming on a little bit later. Luke Wilson is going to join us. Former NFLer. Won a Super Bowl. He played with Seahawks. He's Canadian. So Luke is going to join us. Uh, We will discuss the season opener, of course, and some of the games coming up this weekend. But Allie, when I turned on the TV last night, I did not go to football first. I went to the U.S. Open women's semifinals because the Canadian, Layla Annie Fernandez, is she's just a rock star right now. She has literally come out of nowhere and she has made her way to the U.S. Open final. Did you watch the match yesterday? Did you I had the same issue as you. And I am wearing my Seahawks jersey today in honor of Luke yes. Wilson and in honor of my general fandom for the nfl uh, and for me that nfl is king for me that's always what i'll go to first but like you i started watching the uh the Leila, uh the Leila match because it started at seven o'clock or seven fifteen, i believe in toronto time um i flipped over to the football game around 8 30 because it's the season opener of course by 8 40 i was back i was back on the tennis <laughs> and I, I couldn't i couldn't help it right it's such a it's right. so exciting it's it's uh, her matches i mean her specifically her energy and her family I'm the biggest fan of her family as well. The cheering squad she had in the box. Uh, so I did watch it last night. I was cheering very, very loudly. I'm super proud to, uh, to, to, to that she's repping Canada in the U.S. Open Finals. Well, I think it's interesting when you say how loudly you were cheering because for sure she has won over all of Canada. But she has the crowd at Flushing Meadows on her side too. Big time. I think. Big time. She's just this young girl. She just turned 19 a few days ago. She has this energetic personality that she just sort of draws you in. I don't know if it's a case of um, sort of ignorance is bliss right now. Like she doesn't even know what she has done so far, but she's just this happy-go-lucky girl who's playing amazing. And I think the crowd yesterday was getting to her opponent, Sabalenka, who was getting frustrated, smashed the racket, did that whole thing. And I think it's partially because the crowd is clearly on her opponent's side. I completely agree. And I would even say, I would even go so far as to say that they weren't necessarily against Sabalenka, but they were very much pro Layla. Um, yes. But I agree with you 100%. Like you could see it was, and I almost felt a little bad for Sabalenka because again, she's a young girl as well, right? Number two right. in the world. So she's seen this kind of stuff before, uh, or number two seed at the tournament anyway. Uh, so she's seen this stuff before. But I actually felt a little bad. 
you know, if Sabalenka would have a, a fault on the first on the first serve, they'd be cheering kind of halfway through. And I, I thought it was uh, I, th- I thought it was it was cool because I was cheering for the same side as as the fans. But I did feel a little bad for for Sabalenka. But it's a testament to to, to Layla, right, and her personality and her kind of fiery attitude and her her the uh, uh, I don't know the 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 joys of youth is that she's running down balls like crazy, sure. right? I mean, there was a few shots. I think the uh, Pam Shriver, who was ever commentating yesterday, mentioned a few times that. Um, there were a few shots that Sabalenka did not expect to be coming back, and they came back, and not only came back, they came back with some with, with some sauce on them themselves. So she was uh, she played amazingly. And the thing is, it hasn't been necessarily a flash in the pan because she's done this for the last three matches against three huge names, right? Three three top five uh, yes. three top five women, effectively Osaka, and then she beat Svitolina, uh, and then now uh, Sabalenka as well. So she's on an, an amazing run, almost reminiscent a little bit of Bianca a couple of years ago, right? In the same tournament where she kind of made a similar run. I think Bianca was a little more a little more known uh, than, than, than Leila. I think Leila's coming out of absolutely nowhere, and it's such a great story. Yeah, it's awesome. And you mentioned uh, sort of the hustle, I guess, which is, it's always easy to love a player who has, I mean, hustles. She was down 4-1 in that opening set and looked a little, just a, a little off, I think. Yeah. But but she came back, like showed no fear. And I think you love to see the way players can, can claw back like that. And Definitely. right, she's mowing down these opponents, none of whom have been easy opponents at all. Um, and I... I just, she's, she's so easy to like. I saw Magic Johnson tweeting about her yesterday. Really? I didn't see yeah. that. <laughs> that. Of course, Steve Nash was there. She showed saw that. Nash, like rock star in the crowd watching her. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to Banff this weekend. I'm running a 10K race and I was just Googling wow, before I got you. on here. Thank you. Just Googling sports bars in Banff because I have to find a bar now on Saturday afternoon to watch this. It's can't, I think if you're a comedian, it absolutely is. And she's been, you know, uh, to take this to the betting side a little bit, she's been a betting underdog for the last three matches, obviously. Um, but now she has, she is an underdog still, but she is a, a much closer line than I think you would have expected uh, initially. So she's sitting at a, a plus one forty one to win the match right now, which essentially means she's a small underdog. Uh, you would have to bet a hundred and you would win. Sorry, you'd bet a hundred dollars to win one hundred forty-one dollars. So it's a little bit of an increased return on your on your pass. So she's a a small small underdog, but uh, but nothing compared to what she was versus Osaka. I think she was in like the, you know, three to three to one, four to one kind of underdog range for uh, for that first round, and slowly been getting better and better over the course of the tournament. But I'll be interested to see where she ends up on Monday, right? In terms of national rankings, or sorry, not in terms of in terms of world rankings, that she was, you know, I think she was in the in the top hundred at the beginning of the year. Came in. The tournament 73 i think it was um so we'll see where she ends up after this and and uh, look i think it's a great time for canadian tennis we have felix in the in the semifinals a little bit later yes. on today as well so i will be replaying yesterday again today and sitting in, on my couch watching the i think it's at seven o'clock tonight uh toronto time i believe so i will be watching that for sure and cheering can you imagine having two kind of young canadian stars in tennis stars in the u.s open finals like this is amazing I can't. I mean, I can, but I can't. Yeah, it's yeah. really wild. It's pretty wild. Well, we'll see if she can keep it going. Um, I know Sabalenka said everything is going her way right now, which which is true. Everything is going her way. She's got one more match to go. We'll see if she can keep it going. I don't know if momentum counts here or not. I'm going to say yes. And I would take that bet, Ali. Maybe I will put some money down on her this weekend. Well, you know what? How about we do this? Why don't we... Why don't we take an imaginary bet at the lines that we're on right now. 
we're gonna have uh, have you put down a hundred on uh, on um, on Layla, and so that would gonna pay you off at one hundred and forty one dollars uh, imaginary. Come on, points next right. week, uh, and, and we can discuss your bet. It's actually a pretty good call. Maybe we should start doing a little bit more. You know, stuff we talk about, do some random picks on, and just have you start start guessing some of the uh, some of the sides, and we can talk about how well you're performing next week. Okay, performing. Okay, I mean, we could do that with football too. Maybe we should get into that now because let's do it. Uh, we are upon the first weekend. I know you're excited. I, you've got your jersey on. So Cowboys and Bucks. Um, I feel like. I don't know. Were you surprised by the outcome? I wasn't. Yeah, I was. Were you? I was surprised at how close that game was. I don't think. Oh, any, okay. I mean, I, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Bucks started off as like a six and a half point favorite, so under a touchdown, and yeah. closed at like nine and a half points, which that's a three point, you know, kind of three point difference from opening to close line. Uh, opening being, let's say, a week and a half ago, it actually opened about four months ago because it's the first game of the season. But regardless, that's dramatic of a swing. I, I don't think. I mean, especially based on the recency bias that plays in football a lot. Right? The last time we saw the Bucks, they were dominating the best team in football, effectively, right? They held Mahomes to under a touchdown. or to not even a touchdown. Um, and the last time we saw Dak, he was kind of crying, getting off a field on a cart, which, you know, no, I, I mean, no, no disrespect, but I mean, that was in October of last year. So I think the expectation was we're going to see Similar trends continue and the, and the Bucks are going to, I was going to say the Patriots there. Oh my goodness. The Bucks. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the Bucks were going to roll over the Cowboys, but I think, look, as of the second series last night, you could see that, like Dak was Dak was showing and proving a little bit last night. He played really, really the fact that it took a game-winning drive by you know TB12, who's done it for twenty years, to uh, to win the game. I think it was a great showing, considering they missed two field goals as well. Dallas did; they missed an extra point. Um, and there was that uh, interception that CeeDee Lamb kind of went through his yes. hands and went and did. There was a few breaks. I mean, in football, there's what, 10 plays in every game that can, you know, that can go either way. So let's not consider those interceptions. But I think Dallas had a great, great, great showing, with the exception of one notable person, who is Ezekiel Elliott, who went yes. to like, you know, and didn't do much last night. So uh, nice. that was the only, that was the only, that was the only spot that surprised me a little bit uh, in terms of their offense. I guess when I say I was I wasn't surprised. What I mean by that is you're right. There were huge questions around Dak, but when he came in right away, you could see that he he played great. His numbers were better than Brady, so that was awesome to see. It was like okay, this team's going. He's rolling. That's all good. It was awesome how close it was. But as the game progressed, to me there was no question that Brady was going to come out on the winning end. Like the Cowboys. Is that because you, but that because you've seen it happen for the last yes, 15 years? All yeah. the time. It's like boring to me. It's like, oh, here we go. He's got 82 seconds or however many. He doesn't even need 82. He probably needs like 32 and he could do Amazing. it. And it's just clockwork. Down he comes, game over. And I feel bad for the Cowboys. Like it was a good showing. Dak was great. And, and I was cheering for them last night. But it's just Brady just... God, you can't beat this guy. It's so it's hard. insane. 44 years old and still doing it as well, or even better potentially than, you know, 10 years ago, or you could even say 20 years ago, which is a, an insane thing to say. Um, but no, I think, look, I think I'll agree with you. I think Dak had an amazing showing. I think the Cowboys, I mean, there are no moral victories in football, obviously, right? It's uh, you are what your record says you are. There's a, you know, I know some, a famous coach said that once. Um, and, and considering who their main competition is going to be, if they're competing to that level with the Super Bowl champs, um, I mean, I think they they have to be the favorite to win the NFC East, right? That division is is painful with the Giants, and right. I mean, the Giants are horrible. 
the Eagles, of course, are are painful. And and Washington football team has a, a great defense, but still some questions on offense. So I think based on that team we saw last night, they uh, and, and of course in football every week is a different week, so we can't take too much into next week. Uh, but that team looked really, really, really impressive. And considering they were missing one of their key offensive linemen um, last night, who was on COVID protocol, and that was that's a big right. question. Before, that's right before the game. That was a big. A big concern. Look, I was watching watching ESPN get up this morning, and there was questions around: Was last night Dak's greatest game of his career? Which again, really? I think is a, a little bit of recency bias, but I I can't think of another game that you know where I, I think, oh man, Dak played. I mean, there's a few games with Brady you remember, and there's a few games with Rogers you remember, and there's a few games with Drew Brees you remember, but I can't think of a Dak Prescott game where I thought, man, he's like that dude. Uh, and last night might have been one of them. It, it might have been a defining point for him. We'll see. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would disagree with that necessarily, just considering how he has not thrown a pass in a game since October of 2020, um, dealt with that horrific broken ankle injury oh, and then horrific. the shoulder thing. So just the fact that so much time has gone by since he has played in a in a competitive game like that and you're right. Maybe the Cowboys are for real with if they get when they get Zach Martin back and with, yeah. with Zeke if he shows up, throw those two pieces in. You're right. Well, yeah, I mean, you might say, and there's there, there's you know kind of contrarian opinions here based on the, the the pundits I've been reading about and watching this morning, um, and that well, some are saying that yeah, Zeke Zeke actually showed up a lot more than he's ever before because he picked up a ton of blitzes. Um, we know that Tampa Bay front four and front seven, if you put the linebackers are probably the best in the league. So maybe the game plan was to have that, you know, drop back 60 times, which is insane. Uh, right. So maybe this was just a piece of, you know, scheming genius on Mike McCarthy and, 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 and Kellen Moore's side on the offensive side of the ball, but we'll see how it works next week. If, if, I agree with you. If, if Zeke can be what he was two years ago and the receivers showed up last night as well, right? Amari Cooper played well. Michael Gallup played out of his mind last night. CD lamb, a couple of questionable moments, but I think yeah. uh, overall he, uh, he, he actually played pretty well. Um, I think it, it bodes well, but I mean, we've seen this before with Dallas, right? We've seen uh, fun week ones before where we proclaim them the NFC East champions and they're going to win the NFC and they're going to go to the Super Bowl. And then by week two, when they lose to the Bengals and, you know, I don't know who they're playing next week, but when we'll see how they perform next week. Lose to the Bengals. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what? Um. So, and that was an amazing way to start the NFL season, right? So, uh, yes. but there's a whole bunch of fun games on this weekend. I'm I'm excited to be sitting on the couches right beside me right now, uh, watching. I'm hoping 12 to 13 hours of football on uh, on Sunday. And there's a ton of games. Are there any games that you're especially interested in uh, on Sunday? So I'm just thinking of you sitting on the couch and me running in the mountains dying because I haven't trained for this 10 K at all. And I wish I was going to be you, but instead I will run into it. maybe in the afternoon when I can't move my legs anymore, I will be lying on the couch watching, but yeah, the, I mean, the kind of the one that always jumps out at me just because I lived in Toronto for the last 10 years and there were so many bills fans, the bills and Steelers always on my radar. And obviously because of Josh Allen, who, Man, expectations are sky high for this guy this season. Um, it's his fourth season. He was second in MVP voting last year. And I mean, I don't know if the word is pressure, but people are really rooting for him and, and the Bills this year. They, the Bills. they think this is, this is the year that they can go all the way. So I don't know. We'll see. I was You and I were talking before we jumped on here just about 
uh, getting into the betting stuff again, the odds of certain quarterbacks to win. And I thought it was really interesting. Patrick Mahomes um, coming in number one, five to one odds, then it's Rogers and then Allen, but Allen is getting the most bets. Like he's generating the most interest, which I thought was intriguing. And you know me, I don't know anything about betting, but somehow this just caught my attention. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the top, let's look at the top four in terms of betting okay. favorites for most valuable player award. And I, I'm a quarterback, best most valuable player, which is typical as a quarterback, but whatever. Um, Mahomes first, Aaron Rodgers second, Tom Brady third, Josh Allen fourth. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a Lamar Jackson out there. There's Tyler Murray who plays well. Stafford going to a new place. So it, I'm with you. I'm very surprised at the fact that he is, you know, he is that high. He's paying out right now at, come on, at uh, 13 to 1. Uh, effectively um and to put that in perspective lamar jackson is 17 to 1 right so i mean lamar jackson a previous mvp of the league who is redefining the game uh is getting less love than josh allen so maybe i i, I think you made a good point before and around expectations for the bills uh i think it goes beyond just josh allen because they have some serious weapons uh, with them as well and they played really 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 well towards the end of uh Towards the end of last year, I think you know they run a game with Singletary. Stephon Diggs is a is a monster, right? I mean, the guy is just the, he's so much fun to watch, and he's he's for me anyway. He's the kind of the good diva receiver, right? I, I, I think receivers have some bad some bad reps. Chad Johnson and Terrell Owens and all those guys, um, but uh, but I, I like I like his level of swag. But I am with you and uh, kind of intrigued as to how uh, as to as to how Josh Allen is getting so much love. He does have. Uh... Stephon Diggs does have the swagger for sure. And yeah, Josh Allen, just an easy guy to cheer for. So, so what, so what should I bet on this weekend, Allie? What's the, what's the Buffalo is the favorite in this one. Are they not? Buffalo is the favorite in this. Yeah. So Buffalo is currently sitting at a six and a half point favorite. Um, and this game, so this, that started again, we'll talk about opening and closing opening and closing is a little bit tough in week one, just because week one opens in July in some places. Right. So let's talk about from middle of August onwards, Buffalo opened at about a six point favorite, uh, went up as high as about a seven point favorite towards the end of August and has now settled back into six and a half. So not much movement there. I think people pretty, pretty, you know, pretty consistently feel that, uh, the bills are about a, a single touchdown better than, uh, than the Steelers, uh, and the Steelers. I mean, that's another interesting story this year, right? I mean, the, the, the opponent for the bills this, uh, this week, uh, the Steelers are coming. Uh, it's a bit of a new look Steelers. There's three offensive rookies they're playing with this year. I think when I think of Steelers football, uh, I think of Jerome Bettis. I think of the run game and I think of even Le'Veon Bell. And I think of, you know, I think of these real skill positions that, running back and I think of this vaunted defense that always kind of shows up. And I think this year it's a little bit different. They got a, a rookie running back, this Najee Harris, who is who played amazing in, in, in college, but uh, the NFL is a different game. And more importantly, two rookie offensive linemen um, are looking to be starting this Sunday. So that's going to, you know, that's going to lead most mobile kind of, you know, uh, quarterback in the last few, last few years to, uh, to potentially take some hits. So I'm intrigued. I, definitely like Buffalo. I would never get into the business of telling people who to pick. Cause I think there's, you right. do your own analysis and you do your own research. I, if I was a betting man, which I am, uh, I am definitely on the bills, uh, on the bills, on the points this, uh, this weekend. Were there, are there any games that are, that sort of jump out to you as, um, I don't know, odds that are a little suspect or. You know, I, again, week one is, is always a little bit tough to, uh, to decipher because, you know, I think there's just a lack of information. That, right. um, you know, sure. what, what, what powers the betting world is data at the end of the day, right? I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. data is, is everything. And at this point, 
Um, judging any NFL team's performance by the preseason, you know, isn't a, kind of isn't a justifiable analytical method. Um, there's a lot of new big faces in new places. So, you know, team chemistry is an issue. So I think, uh, I think what I would do as, you know, as a, as, as a gambling person is I'm going to sit back and enjoy week one uh, and try and get some of that data myself and, and, and just watch as many games as I can and see who's playing well. And then, you know, and week two start to build up, but there are like, there are some really, really interesting, uh, interesting games and some really, um, some really close games as well that I think are going to be ones that'll be uh, exciting to watch on uh, kind of on Sunday. Um, I'm especially intrigued by, I'm just trying to find the line, see if it's moved at all here. I'm especially intrigued by the Browns and visiting the chiefs, right? I think, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting one. That's the one that's going to be on four o'clock on, uh, on, on Sunday. Um, the chiefs are understandably a five and a half point favorite at home, which I think is a little bit, you know, I think is a little bit low given that, given that offense. Five right. and a half points. Yeah. yeah, five and a half points right now. But uh, but the, listen, the Browns are one of those teams where you just don't. I mean, Baker Mayfield played out of his mind during the end of last year. They have potentially the best running game in the league uh, and some pretty sick res- uh, uh, receiver weapons as well. So that's one that I'm I'm especially intrigued at. Uh, who would you pick in that game? We're talking Browns and we're talking Chiefs. Who are you picking? Yeah, those Browns can be sneaky for sure. I you know what? I always get caught with this because I am always. I always bet on the underdog, which is just stupid sometimes because it, it just doesn't make sense sometimes. I mean, in that <laughs> one, I would go with the Chiefs, though. I think I don't. Okay. I, I have a hard time betting against the Chiefs in that particular game. So I completely agree. Uh, look, it's going to be a, uh, an especially fun week of uh, weekend of football. I think uh, this for for a lot of us sports fans, this is kind of the beginning of a new season. For I really think of this as like I was really saying Happy Football Day yesterday to people at the bank. All right, we are super pleased to introduce our guest onto the show. He is a former NFLer, a Super Bowl champion, and I would say owner of some of the best flow in the entire sports world. Luke Wilson, we are so happy to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. How are you doing? What's going on? You know, I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a bit of a transition, but I'd say I'm kind of in the honeymoon phase of retirement, you know, so it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, it is a little weird not, you know, having to physically perform every day. Uh, I'm not sure if I like that or dislike that. I think it's kind of pros and cons, but so far things have been good. It must be strange for you. That was going to be my first question. How strange is it for you? The season obviously got underway yesterday. You are not playing. How weird does that feel? It is, uh, again, it kind of is a bit of a roller coaster in a way where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the traditional Thursday night opening week game uh, looks like I should be rolling. And you're like, wait. You know, I shouldn't be. And it's one of those things where I think for me, everybody loves playing in the games. Uh, but, it, you know, it's not just it's weird, but I think football, because we only play once a week. You know, some fans might think, hey, you kind of stroll out there a couple of times during the week, practice, and then show up on Sunday. When there's a lot of, like, time commitment, body work, uh, mental studying, like a large amount that go in during the week. And uh, I don't really miss that, at least not yet. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I do not miss that yet. So we'll uh, we'll see. Like I said, I'm kind of in that honeymoon phase of retirement, but we'll see uh, how things go. So as you mentioned, you retired. Can you take us through that decision just in case people haven't heard you had a bit of a, a health issue and just what that decision process was like for you? And, and was it difficult to, to cut your career short? 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, not really, to be honest. It was obviously a tough decision, but uh, I had a, a health issue, and I remember sitting there on the ER bed, and I wasn't really sure what was going on. And uh, when I kind of got done and they drained some fluid from my heart area, I was like, all right, man. I'm like, if like life can like happen this fast where you go from like feeling 100% to like a limp body on an ER bed, I was like, you just don't have like time to waste. You know, it's like not to sound cliche as, as you know, I'm not the most serious human being of all time, <laughs> but uh, it was kind of a bit of a perspective change for me where I was like, you know, I have so many things that I want to do in my life. And I've always wanted to do and It's kind of like since I was a kid, which I've loved, and I don't regret whatsoever, but it's always been like sports, football, you know, last X amount of years. But even as a child, it was like, let's play sports. And it's what I loved. And I, uh, I think that the more I played professionally, I, you know, there's kind of a transition where you love a lot of the parts of the game, but there's also a lot of parts you don't love more off the field stuff. And uh, I went back for a day and kind of didn't feel right. And it was like, you know what? If you're not 100% committed to the season, you can't play or else you're going to be miserable. And I kind of remember laying on the ER bed saying, like, I'm not going to be miserable doing anything I do from now on out. And uh, the next morning called Pete and called John Snyder. And that was that. So it was, it was wow. a bit of. Wow. Yeah, it was a little strange. I mean, they understood. They uh I'd had the issue here in Seattle, so uh, they were pretty well aware. Like with COVID, nobody was allowed to visit, so or only one person. But uh, so our equipment manager was actually the guy who came by, and I have a great relationship with him. And uh, but you know, John had called me, and everybody there kind of was checking in on me pretty uh, regularly, so they had known what was going on. Well, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying health is number one for sure. So good for you for making that decision. Uh, you had a tremendous career. I'm curious, though, what are you going to do more of now that you're retired? I imagine I feel like you're a really interesting guy and I feel like you have this huge list of things <laughs> like cooking or musical instruments. Like I can't imagine what things are going to skydiving, skydiving. Sure, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that, but um, I was at a Green Day concert the other day. <laughs> And okay. I was like, man, you know, maybe when I was a kid, I played a little bit of guitar. Maybe I should pick that back up. Yes. I don't think I'll ever get to the ability of Green Day, but, you know, just for fun. Um, one thing I really do want to do, which is kind of an unknown fact, but I'm half Italian. My mom's side is full Italian. And uh, but from like way up north, almost kind of by the Austrian Slovenia border. Okay. And uh, I've always wanted to go. So. I'm uh, heading back to Canada in the next couple of weeks and I'm going to convince my Italian grandfather. I'm going to try and take him and like go to my, or my mom's family, uh, grandma and grandma are from, and uh, just kind of check that area out and then maybe, you know, bang around Europe for a little bit. We'll see. I don't know if I can pull it off. You know, I, I hear all these people are like, yeah, I'm backpacking Europe. And I, that's always <laughs> me like an anxiety attack. I'm like, wait, what exactly does that mean? Like you just put a backpack on and just bounced around Europe. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll push my uh, level of comfort and, and try it out for a little bit. World is your oyster, man. You can do anything now. That's kind of what I feel like. You know, somebody was asking me and I decided, like, what are you going to do now? I'm like, honestly, I feel like the rest of my life is a bit of a blank canvas, you know? Awesome. We'll see. 
That is uh, that's 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 amazing, man. I, I must echo uh, Natasha's initial thought on the the hair. That's I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm admiring the flowing locks you have. You know, I'm having a good day today. I'm having yeah? a good day. And I've got it. I'm it's a little dye down here. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a different look, but I've liked it. It's you know, this is not my natural hair color, but I got a little <laughs> bored this summer. You know, I was uh, it started actually. I was uh, practicing every day. I'd be out there with the pro the MLR rugby team in town uh the seattle seawolves and they have a little bit of a different operating system in the nfl in the nfl we have these like joking fine boards where it's a cash ordeal but in the rugby league uh like those kind of player to player fines kangaroo court vibes if you will are uh they roll a dice and they do like pink nails or like frosted tips awesome and um honestly you might think that I got fine, which I did later. But I was like, you know what? I kind of like these frosted tips. I'm just going to go get them myself. So I came back. I think the boys are a little confused because they're like, bro, what did you get fined for? I'm like, I didn't, man. Not yet. There, they kind of went, uh, you know, a little strange. But now help me out here in these terms. But then I think I got a balayage about three months later. They kind of – did I say that right? I was don't even know what that say. is, dude. I can't believe you just dropped the word balayage. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning, Natasha. I'm learning. That's, Is that a football I, term I don't or what? I know myself if it's exactly how you say it, but I, I think you're right. I think it's balayage where it's just like the, the gentle sort of dark into blonde kind of deal. Yes, yes. So that's uh, that's the action I've got going on right now. I know. I'm so great. impressed. Guys, I'm learning so much. This is so awesome. I appreciate it. <laughs> balayage. I am literally going to Google balayage while you guys are talking during the next uh, the next question. Um, but, look, I mean, you you played with one of the most iconic teams, right? I mean, I'm repping my, my Beast Mode jersey that. right yep. now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Seahawks fan, man. Uh, so it's uh, – and and the personalities you played with, right? I mean, Marshawn and Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam, all those guys. Um, we see some stuff in the interviews and we see some stuff in, you know, and, and, and a little glimpse into their personality. Uh, give us some stories about those guys and, you know, some of your interactions with those guys. And what are those guys like, you know, kind of on, on Tuesday to Thursday, uh, not yeah. what we see on Sunday. So I think what was cool about that group is that what you saw in the media, which is very rare in this league, but were the actual human beings in the locker room. You know, the interviews with Marshawn, Maybe not the silence, you know, he was, <laughs> you know, he didn't like treat people like in silence at all, but you know, his kind of uh, persona, how he like carried himself. That's how he was 24 seven. And I think that's why he had such great respect um, amongst, you know, his teammates in the locker room was he treated everybody from the practice squad players to, you know, the pro bowl guys in our team the exact same and you just got like him and he was unapologetic and he was authentic as shit. Sorry. Am I allowed to say, am I allowed to okay, go ahead? Go curse. Shit is right, let's go. Yeah. Say it as much as you oh. want. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was just funny, man. It was, you know, and it was, I I've got some Marshawn stories, but uh, I don't know. Some of, them are, some of them are a little aggressive. So I'll, I'll save a few of those maybe for after the podcast. <laughs> Uh, same thing with Sherm, you know, Sherm was another guy where, you know, very articulate, um, you know, very passionate and that's how he was in the locker room. And, uh, you know, just a phenomenal teammate. Uh, you put Doug Baldwin in there, another guy kind of wore his heart on his sleeve 
And uh, I think that what made that team so special and the ability to, you know, win the Super Bowl was that you had all these guys and it was like, you know, the moment practice started, it was like this perfect combination of personalities and competitiveness. And it just got like very, very intense every practice. And then, you know, we'd be on the verge of fighting. I think we got suspended for a few years by the NFL in OTAs for fighting too much. <laughs> and uh, I think we had like, we might have been back to back to back years. And uh, it was one of those ordeals where when it got to the locker room, it was like it was all done and we were just one big family. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was a special run we had there. It was unfortunate that we didn't get the back to back ordeal. You all know what happened there. But uh, <laughs> very, you know, very, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, very fond memories for me. And a lot of like, you know, lifetime, uh, lifetime bonds I've forged. I believe Doug and Jermaine Curse are still in the area. I was shooting messages with them the other day. So it's been, uh, Marshawn pops in and out. And it's kind of random on a, on a strange note. I was in an airport um, a couple months ago uh, in a connecting flight. And all of a sudden I get bumped into, dude's got his head down, a hood on. I'm like, what the? And it's Marshawn. I'm like, I mean, what are the chances that me and him run into each other? So kind of cool. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so, you, so you won the Super Bowl in your rookie in your rookie season, right? That was uh, 2013. Season. You guys blew out the Broncos, I believe. We did. And I, uh, I had a bunch of my boys from LaSalle, Ontario, that I went to high school at the game. And after the game, I remember looking at me like, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I think I'm going to win eight straight <laughs> you know, next year in Arizona. Most of them came down there. And I, I'm like, I told you, man, this is two of eight. Like we've got the squad now. Fortunately, that was, you know, never happened again, but uh, still pretty cool, you know, to be able to play in two and win one, um, you know, something that has been enjoyable. But I think for me, like in my career, uh, I'll look back most on like the people that I've met and just the, uh, the stories more so um, than the, you know, accomplishments of, of what we won and didn't win. Now that you're retired, Luke, and you can't get fined anymore, I thought you were going to give us a little bit more dirt on some of those guys, but it sounds like you're a pretty good teammate. Yeah, they are. I mean, if I had some dirt uh, to give, I, I, I'd share it out. But that crew especially kind of got – I mean, I feel like we were a bit of the bad boys of the league, you know, back then. Sure. But uh, – Honestly, it was kind of like almost an identity that we took on. You know, I look at a guy like Cam Chancellor and, uh, you know, my interactions with Cam. And again, I do see him around and touch base him here and there. He's one of the like nicest people that I've met in the league, which is kind of funny because crazy. you see him on uh, game day and he's like the hardest hitter in the last 25 years, you know, and it's uh, – you know, he's very ferocious, but as far as him being in the locker room, uh, you know, outside of football, just like a very stand-up human being, very good guy, which, you know, again, made it a lot more fun to play. I don't – I'm sure we've all been in the sports world or the media side or athletically. You know, you kind of hear athletes that uh, maybe aren't the greatest people off, off the field, and it's a little tough, you know, as a – I don't know, as a Canadian kid, sometimes that was tough for me where it's like, you know, this guy's a bit of a dickhead and, you know, you don't really like love going on Sundays and like really battling for a jackass, if you will. But uh, that league, that 
team in that era was really like just good, good people. So I have to ask, cause you touched on it earlier and if you can't, if you, if you don't want to give your opinion, that's completely fine. The decision in the second Super Bowl. We all know what the decision was. What yeah. do you, uh, if you could do that over again, or what do you think should have been done at that point? Are you, are you, are you handing the ball off or are you kind of, I mean, yeah, I, I think everybody's handing the ball off. Um, you know, I don't know what actually happened on the sideline. Cause I was in for that. Um, and I had told a story once where we had gotten down there to the five. So curse had the bobbling catch yeah. Yeah. and we had gone down. I think it was the five or six. And we called a run play to my side. And I remember sitting there thinking like, and it was kind of a play where, um, you know, I was somewhat of a key block. So I remember being like, listen, like you're kind of talking yourself at this point. And I'm like, don't, do not jump offside. You know, first and goal from nice. like the six, first, first and goal from the 11 are very, very drastically different. And uh, I'm like, we got Marshawn, like, and then it's like, all right, man, let's make this block, like, you know, and and we should be good here. So I probably stalemated, you know, could have done a better job. But uh, I'd give myself a win on the play. So I'm like, all right, this is good. And uh, Marshawn goes, and I can't remember his high tower, but he, like, trips his, like, almost like a shoelace. Because Marshawn really didn't get tapped. I mean, you know, you got the Beast Mode jersey on right now. 100%. Marshawn really didn't get tackled like that, unless it was, like, a kind of cheeky, like, weird ordeal. And uh, so he, like, barely catches Marshawn's foot, trips him up. Marshawn lands about the half-yard line. And I remember, and I was not a guy who, like, thought about the next play. I mean, I thought about the next play, but not what the coach was going to call. And it was, like, one of the only times in my career where I'm like, wow, that's even better. Like, now we're second goal from the half. They either got to burn this timeout or the clock's going to run. And uh, we get in there, and I could see there was, like, I think – I mean, not to make excuses, but I think that they were so shocked that um, they the Patriots didn't use their timeouts. Um, that that kind of like threw everybody off a little bit. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And then at that point, it was like, wait, they're not going to call a timeout. Do we call a timeout? And what do we do? And it was like almost like the ultimate, I don't even want to say curveball was like someone just threw a knuckleball into like the flow of what they thought would occur. And uh, we call the pass play and, you know, uh, rumor was it kind of came from the top. I don't know who it came from, uh, but what was tough was that, you know, we weren't a goal line package team that year. We very rarely ran goal line stuff. And uh, that week we were like, yo, if we get down to the one, We've got the O-line. We've got the play, the way they run their defense. Like, we've got a goal line run to Marshawn that is a for sure. So, like, I'm sitting there like, yo, we finally put goal line in after 21 years of the season. We're on the half-yard line. Like, let's call this thing and go. And then uh, when we got out there, they had sent out a different personnel, and we had scored a lot of touchdowns on this on a run play out of this personnel all year. So I'm still like sitting in the huddle thinking to myself, okay, well, they went with our like bread and butter. Like we had probably scored 15 touchdowns because it has the option of Russ pulling it. 
Okay. And against Green Bay, I think we had scored two or two, maybe even three touchdowns, two for sure. And then like the week before, again, it's kind of one of those things where if we all block it right, Russ makes a decision, either gives us Marshawn or pull it out, and we're good. I know this is getting long-winded, but – No, I love it. We, Keep it going. Love it. Keep okay. it going. We, uh, <laughs> we, we, they come in, and I see the personnel, which is uh, not a heavy personnel. One tight end, one running back, three wideouts. And I'm like, all right, we're going to call – the play was called Buck. That was like the – so we're going to call – I'm like, we're going to call Buck. Like, I get it. You know, stick with what you know. And uh, I put my head down in the huddle and he, he starts calling the play. I'm like, and in the NFL, you have uh, like a play sheet where like, there's no making up plays if that makes sense. So like going into the game, if you're like studying the playbook, well, you know, like every formation that like you run buck out of. So they start talking. I'm like, we don't have buck out of this formation. And then they sit there. I'm like, Oh wow. We're passing the ball. So I'm like, shit, man, I'm about to catch a game-winning TD out here. Let's go. Yes, sir. <laughs> God. Well, I'm kind of hyped. I'm like, and uh, there's a, a man side and a zone side, uh, which, you know, when you're on the half-inch yard line, I'd say 95% of the world plays man. And I my route combination was on the zone side, so I knew I was kind of dead. Uh, and then – you know, a, a million things kind of went wrong in that play. And uh, I, so, yeah, that's kind of how it went down. And as far as, like, hindsight, I mean, yes, if it was me, like, even in the moment, I was very surprised we weren't uh, we weren't throwing it. I mean, sorry, we weren't running it. But I also get, like, to a degree, if you analyze a Pete Carroll team, like we do crazy things like that all the time. And a lot of times it works, you know, and it's kind of like been our identity. And, and, and you look at it, even in that game, so to speak, the end of the first half, we threw a touchdown to Chris Matthews with like no time on the clock. And it wasn't like we were that close, I guess. To the, it wasn't like we were on the half inch yard line, I don't think. And, any other coach in the NFL would have been like, kick the field goal, take the points, kick the field goal where it's like, like, like Pete is a gambler, you know? So it's yeah, like, cool. he, it worked in the end of the first half. It doesn't work in the second half, but it's like, you got to kind of ride with like the wild shit that you've done to get you there. Absolutely. You know? And Absolutely. Uh, again, I don't know. It's kind of like going to the casino and, and you got your chips on the table, man. Sometimes when you're playing crafts, it's probably better to like pull those chips off the table and take the winnings. But yeah. you're like, you know what? I might let Let's this ride. thing ride for the big Let's boy. Ride. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I felt like that was another thing that like it was so easy to judge that moment when there's like other moments again, like the touchdown at the end of the first half, where you're like, you know, they should have kicked there, but they didn't. They took a risk there and it paid off. So uh yeah, I mean, it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it is what it is. I have oh, one yeah. more quick follow-up question. I'm sorry, Natasha. I just want to – I, I, I want to no, – okay, okay, no, you go first. Okay, I just – I like you just said how you win the Super Bowl in your first season and you're, you're pumped, like, let's win eight more, and you have this opportunity to do back-to-back and you just detailed it for us. It was right there literally in your hands. Are you 
are you over it yet? Have you made peace with that moment? Do you think about it all the time? What's your kind of perspective on it now, looking back almost 10 years later? Uh, to be honest with you, I hardly ever think of it. Oh, good. Yeah, I hardly ever think of it. Um, it I didn't take a while to like get over it. Right. And, you know, you just kind of think like, again, I go back to the play of uh, this play right before we, you know, had throw the pick. And it's like, if I get six inches of vertical push on whoever it was, you know, more, does that give like Marshawn, like you kind of blame yourself, like Marshawn, wow. an extra with there. Does that happen? Does this happen? And uh, I mean, it's tough. Like, and it was to kind of make things like more bitter, I guess. It was like, we pretty much had the same team, but I felt like we never got over that. You know, I felt like there was a lot of animosity in the locker room towards our kind of coaching staff, uh, players, like relationships kind of started to deteriorate. Uh, everybody kind of had their own reason or their own idea of why a pass was called. And then it was like you took a team that was loaded with talent, and now the next year, you know, you got the Super Bowl hangover, and we're I think we were 10-6 and six or 10-5-1, and one, and the next year we were 10-6. and six. And then the following year, we were nine and seven and missed the playoffs. Now we had some close games. We missed some kicks and, you know, that season could have easily been. But even that, it was like the year we went 13-3, we were really rolling through teams. And we had the talent to kind of do the same. But then we were scraping by with, uh, you know, 10-6, and 10-5-1 season and the nine and seven. And then it was kind of like everybody was gone. You know, a couple guys got hurt. And they kind of, you know, that was the end of that era. So even up until then, like, it was just a very tough pill to swallow to kind of know, like, this Seahawks era is over. And it ended, you know, probably like most eras in pro sports do, but not well. Right. Um, but, you know, since then, it's kind of like, again, I feel like as a youngster, I was 23, 24 I mean, I'm still a youngster. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I got young energy over here. Okay? <laughs> I don't want to call myself an old timer, but, uh, <laughs> you know, 23, 24, when we were in those games, like I just thought kind of as like, you know, a young kid in the league, like this is it. Like this is the most important thing. And I think as I got older and really started to like reflect on my life and my career a little bit, I mean, don't get me wrong, winning the Super Bowl was incredible, but I was also very blessed to be in a great organization and a, you know, great group of people and winning. I mean, the worst year we had, there was nine and seven. I think the year I spent in Detroit uh, when we went six and 10 and just kind of that toxic energy, if you will, um, really kind of put things in perspective. Like the special part, I think for me about playing pro sports, and if you ask a lot of people or, you know, the people in the locker room and, in the building that you spend every day with. So I think that that's part of the reason, like I've been able to get over it, so to speak, is it's like, you know, the relationships I've made far outweigh like losing the Super Bowl. I know, I know it's a little cliche, but I'd say- That's awesome. No, it's awesome. That's awesome. That's my vibe. What I'm amazed at is the level of detail with you remembering everything. Um, and I completely understand saying uh, we were nine and seven in this year, but my man, you just said you were, you remembered your route 
whether it was men's side or zone side on a specific play that was seven, eight years ago. Um, that was a big play, obviously, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. huge one. but even the play before you said was second and six and Marshawn gets five and a half. Do you have that level of memory for uh, like not all the plays, but do you have that level of detail? Could you go back to a game like I know I was, I was reading you, there was a game where you had, I think it was three catches, two touchdowns, 119 yards or something. I can't remember what it was against Panthers, maybe. Yeah. Um, can you Saturday remember football. like the, Saturday football can you, in Arizona? So, so you can remember those. My buddies joke with me, but I've always been, it's like, I don't want to say I have a great memory, but when it comes to like sporting events that I've played in, even in like high school, it's almost like these things are ingrained. Like I could tell you the names of like people that I've played against in high school and what position they're playing and what they did on like certain plays, not an entire game, but like bigger plays like that. I I still like vividly remember, but again, as a kid, like, I was your traditional like Ontario kid who was just like obsessed with playing sports. Like, I mean, I was salivating waiting for that recess bell in elementary. Like, yo, what are we got today? You know, dodgeball, baby. No question. Is it soccer season? <laughs> are we ripping dodgeball? Are we, you know, who knows? But it was uh, that was kind of me. So yes, yeah, answer that question. There's a lot of like, that's cool stories like that that I I do remember pretty vividly. So Luke, are, are you one of those guys, like some guys, they just, they play their game, they train, and then they don't watch any sports or they don't even watch their own league after they do tons of different things. Are you that person or will you still watch all the time? Like, did you watch the game last night? No. So in college I did okay. and uh, I play fantasy football. So I kind of check on my guys, you know, see how my guys are doing. Yep. But uh, a lot of, lot of shit talking in that. So I got to be like... <laughs> I did win my league last year, which was nice. Nice. But uh, as far as like watching sports in college, I'd say I definitely did. And uh, oddly enough, I'd say the sport that I watched the most of, which is probably going to be a little strange, is soccer, specifically European soccer. Oh. Uh, But again, kind of going back to the Italian thing, like my no-no, my Italian grandfather is a big, uh, from his hometown, not a big market team, but he would watch. So that kind of got me into it. Needless to say, I was pretty hyped on Euros this year. Big, big dub for the boys. Big, big there dub. There you go. But uh, um, I since the pros, I barely watch any football. You know, it was one of those things where you know in college it was like we'd stroll in, we'd probably have like a morning workout, you'd go to class. You know, with one of your eyes open, one closed because you're <laughs> dead. And uh, you eat lunch, maybe you have a quick afternoon class. And it was like you get to the stadium, uh, you'd watch film there, you know, you practice there. Rice was a school I went to, it was not a big pop football powerhouse. So we weren't winning a ton of games. And then it was, you know, go home, whatever, whatever sports on, flip it on, whatever the college kids kind of do. But, uh, you know, the pro game, it was like, I mean, you're there for 10 hours a day and the majority of it is not maybe 50, 50, but the majority of it is film and like install. And like, even if you're not watching film, you're like talking about, Hey, you know, we're installing this play, which is a generic football play, but like, here's why. And we're hoping they run this coverage and this guy's not great at doing this, or this guy's really good. So we're going to avoid him. And then it's like, here's your iPad. And when you go home, you're supposed to watch like, not supposed to, but it'd be ideal if you watch X amount of film. So it kind of gets to the point where like, I've seen so much football that it's, uh, you know, I just don't feel like watching it. And uh, interesting. Interesting. 
what's also kind of tough is like, and it's weird because I'm considering like going into this world, but from a media perspective, it's like hard for me to listen sometimes to like analysis or even like live, uh, I don't know, broadcasting. Cause it's like so far off what's actually going on, you know, and football's tough. Like it's not the announcer's fault, but it's, you know, Oh, so-and-so made a bad read there or so-and-so did this. And it's like, well, actually like, there's a missed assignment over here or like we missed the blitz on this side. And there's so many moving pieces that if you don't like, if you're not in the huddle, you don't really know like what's going on. If that makes sense. Absolutely. You could do that next. You could be a broadcast. hundred percent. I'd watch it. Listening to you talk, like maybe you should do this. I mean, I feel you on that, but I also feel like if you work for one of the, like, if you're doing a lot of corporate work, like you're, you get muzzled yeah. a little bit, you know, I, I don't know. I'm a wild man up here. I got the frosted tips, like the old <laughs> lifestyle over here. <clears throat> Love it. Yeah. Maybe who knows? So do you have a, even, even though you don't watch it a lot, maybe you'll watch it now that you don't play it as much, but just a couple questions. I'm curious to get your takes on this season. Do you have a, do you see a team out there that you think is a Super Bowl favorite? Who do you think is going to win this year? Uh, I have a hard time believing that anyone will beat Tampa Bay. Um, You know, I think that last year you kind of saw in the latter half, like Tom really start to like settle into that offense. And, uh, you know, I've never played with Tom, never met him, don't know him. Um, But you hear like, he's kind of like this mystical character amongst the league. And uh, you hear these stories about him. Like, obviously he's very talented, and I'm not – don't take this as, like, me saying he's not talented. But what they say about him, which, like, makes him who he is, uh, is, like, the way – his leadership and his, like, preparation. And um, just the way he practices, studies for the games, et cetera. And when you get a guy who, like, thrives on that kind of, you know, that part of the game, takes some time. You know, he's in a new offense, you know, they kind of worked out all their uh, wrinkles. And then obviously they started ripping later on the year. Like even last night, I know it was a close game, but it's like they hung what 31 points week one on a Thursday. (laughs) I mean, you've got Godwin, Antonio Brown, who I played with, who's an absolutely phenomenal talent. And you saw that last night and he didn't have a ton of catches, but Mike Evans is another guy that's just a stud in this league. Monster. So it's like you give Tom and then Gronk seems to be looking pretty good. It's like you give Tom those four, like he's going to tear teams up and it might not be one specific guy, but I just find it very hard to think that uh, that team's going to be beat. You played with uh, Matt Stafford. Do you think he can win the big game with the Rams now? Definitely. Uh, Honestly, if I had to, I mean, this might sound uh, bad because, you know, obviously I hope the Seahawks win the NFC West, but uh, I would be a little anxious if I'm anybody in that NFC West right now because Matt Stafford is that good. And, uh, you know, again, I was spent one year in Detroit and that was a strange place to say the least. Um, but him in a situation with, you know, what, again, I haven't played there, but I have uh, – you know, actually briefly met Sean McVay and 
know we have some mutual friends and everybody that I, you know, know from that organization and the Rams speak very highly of Sean, um, you know, does it the right way type of thing. And he's like an offensive kind of mastermind. So to combine him with Matty Stafford and that arm and his brain, which is second to none, uh, I would be very surprised if the Rams don't win a lot of football games this year because they have a good defense. You know, good defense, yeah. And uh, they've got weapons around them. Now, I know they have a running back issue. I can't remember, but they, their main guy got hurt. Yeah, Akers is up for the year, and I think uh, uh, Henderson is questionable. Yes, I, I think believe they one. signed uh, Sony Michelle. Is that sound correct? Right? You are correct. But it's like if you stroll out there, Higby is a very good tight end. I've always liked watching him. Um, and then you got, you know, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Um, I mean, the, the team's loaded. Uh, they'll be uh, they'll be definitely a force in NFC West. And that's turned out to be like a, a really like a really tough division now, right? I mean, I San Fran's a little bit of a kind of a, you know, a bit of a question mark right now. But the other teams, I mean, Arizona, I'm a huge fan of. I think they, they did a lot in the offseason. But uh, I mean, yeah. it, because I ask you this question is, is it as easy as just adding – J.J. Watt, A.J. Green, and put him in the mix and say, okay, go out there and play. And DeAndre there. Hopkins over there. And, oh, never mind. Yeah, never mind. Maybe the best receiver. I mean, think about that lineup. It's insane. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but this is brand new for these guys. So you could probably speak to this better than anybody else can. And is it as easy as just putting the 11 best guys together and saying go out and play? Or how much does chemistry play into this? Definitely not. Definitely not. Um there's a lot that plays into it. Chemistry is definitely part of it. Uh, I think a lot of it falls on the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. So, like, as far as, like, A.J. and DeAndre going out there, like, don't get me wrong, there's a timing thing. There's a, you know, get a feel for Kyler Murray ordeal. But, like, that stuff can come relatively pretty quickly. But it's, like, how do you – when you have that many guys, as an offensive coordinator – how do you keep everybody like in the flow of a game? Like we have a talent um, like DeAndre Hopkins. And then what was scary was everybody was kind of saying AJ Green is not the same. And I, I read an interview the other day. Hopkins was like, this guy might be the best receiver I've played with. Really? And, uh, you know, and that kind of does, again, I have seen that happen when you, you know, AJ Green's kind of buried in Cincinnati, not having fun, not enjoying it. And all of a sudden now he, goes to a spot he's really liking things can change. And uh, so I think the big adjustment is going to be, you know, how do you use AJ Green, Hopkins, everybody else in that offense and get Kyler Murray, you know, slinging on point on time uh, in that offense and just making good decisions. Not that he didn't last year, but you know, he's got some new weapons. And so that everybody stays happy. You know, it's one of those things where, if you try and run an offense where it's like only throw to DeAndre and then all of a sudden, you know, okay, it's third down. We're going to, we haven't sent one ball's way, but now we'll fling one over to AJ green. Like guys get out of the flow of the game. So I think it'll be more on the coaches and more the players, you know, it's traditional player talk to uh, make sure that that offense is running well. Amazing. I'm laughing here, Luke, that I told you we were going to do this for 15 minutes, and I feel like it's for hours. And you have to come back. Time. We will have to come back. Like I said, I got a lot of time on my hands. So, that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Unless I'm in Italy, it might be tough. I don't know. A small town in a 
My grandpa is strong. I don't know how their internet connection's going up there, but. Oh, geez. Yeah. How did you, what was, so you said you played in Detroit. Did Detroit, I mean, you grew up in LaSalle, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a weird experience because like growing up, Detroit was my favorite team. You know, I was dressed up as Barry Sanders for Halloween. Nice. Uh, you know, as a kid watching like Barry, Herman Moore, Robert Porsche was their big D lineman back then. Like, I mean, I was a fan even in college, like through the tough years, which there were a lot of them. But uh, <laughs> so like, coming back home was, you know, the surreal ordeal where I'm like, holy smokes, like I'm playing for the Lions, you know. And then uh, what was just weird about it was it was just a very bad year personally for me, a uh, bad year um, team-wise. We struggled, you know, and uh, that was Matt Patricia's first year. So a little bit of a culture shock, I think, for everybody um, between Pete Carroll and Matt Patricia. Right. I was going to say, like, again, I haven't played, but I think the spectrums in the NFL are like Pete on one end and Bill Belichick on the other. And then everybody else kind of falls in between there. Um, And yeah, so to go to kind of from Pete for five to Matty P and, you know, the winning wasn't there. uh, I don't know, just a tough year. There was, it was, so yeah, it was kind of weird, you know, not to, as you see, I'm stumbling on my words here, but it's like a, almost a year. I wish like I could erase from my life. I was, uh, (laughs) So excited going into it. And, um, you know, I'm playing. I'm, the cool thing was off the field. This was pre-COVID when the borders were open. But uh, off the field, it was like Tuesdays. I was 25 minutes from my childhood home, if that. So, like, I hadn't seen my family, like, that much, you know, since I was in high school. Because college, I was gone. Seattle, you're kind of in and out a little bit in the off season, But it'd be like, hey, my family came to every game. Um, you know, again, that was my sixth season. So I was a little older and, um, that part was enjoyable, but it was just an absolute bloodbath of a year. Let's just put it that way. Not enjoyable. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Gotcha. On the flip side of that, when you look back on your career, what are you most proud of? Someone asked us the other day and I like, wasn't a hundred percent sure how to answer it. Um, you know, I think there was a few things for me, uh, one of them being, you know, I was a fifth round pick, um, out of Canada and kind of did it like the traditional way. And what I mean by that is, and this is no like shade to anyone else in Canada who didn't do it this way. Like I came out as like a true senior, you know, and it was like coming out of there, everybody was like, Hey, even my senior year. You know, people were kind of pressuring my dad to, like, move me to Michigan, you know, pay some wild amount of money to go to some private school so that I, you know, would be better scouted and, like, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, I mean, we sat there as, like, a family and, like, hey, is there something you want to do? And I'm like, not really. You know, I don't want to leave my senior year. Like, and we decided kind of as a family, like, hey, I'm going to stick it out. And I was like, I went didn't like pick some random high school that was better at football. Uh, you know, went to what the feeder school I was supposed to and the district I was supposed to and uh, kind of, you know, grind in a grinded grimy way, like got into rice, uh, 
you know, that was not a great football situation, but it was weird, a funny note. But uh, I remember going down there and like the first couple of weeks, everyone was bitching about our facilities. And I'm like, this is the nicest place I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean, we were scrolling out to practice at Villanova with like, I mean, now looking back, we probably looked like the bad news bears. Like we didn't have practice jerseys. So like guys would be wearing hockey uniforms, like (laughs) different color pants, different types of helmets. Like that's all we knew. Like we just played football and it was like, I'm down there at Rice, and I've got, I'm like decked out in Nike gear with like a beautiful weight room beside us in a locker room. This is incredible. But uh, so I think the thing that I'm like most proud of is that, you know, didn't go the private school route, didn't go the JUCO, uh, you know, I don't know what they call it in Quebec when they have like the years after high school. All the shape no of Quebec, by the way. As an Ontario guy, you know, we got to – I'm with you. Yeah, so uh, I think for me, again, I didn't say this in the last time someone asked, but as I know this is a Canadian ordeal. I can understand, like, being able to say, like, went to the, you know, local high school, got out, went to kind of a shitty college football-wise, got out, and then, you know, banged around for eight years on some very good teams uh, – you know, that kind of whole work of art is probably what I'm most proud of. Well, but. That is outstanding. Yeah, that is outstanding. Uh, you had a heck of a career. And thanks for being here. I can't thank Absolutely. you enough. This was, this was so good. I, I know I told you that it was only going to be audio, but I think we need to get a visual of your hair because, like you said, it's well, good hair. Frosted tips, yeah, like, baby. Frosted yeah, tips. Get the whole thing in here. Let's see the so tips. Not. We're going to have to use, use this oh. for, for I mean, time. That's going to be the cover shot. Beautiful. <laughs> the balayage is magnificent. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I got to look that up. I got to look that balayage. up. Uh, Luke, it was amazing talking to you, man. I, I really hope we can, because we could literally talk here for three, four hours and shoot the shit, because your, your insights are authentic, honest, and things that we as fans don't get to see, right? So I think it's uh, it's really important and really valuable. And I'm sitting here like a kid on Christmas listening to you just talk. I can sit here for, for, for hours. So we will do this again for sure. Cool. Yeah, let me know. And, and thanks for having me on. Good luck with whatever is next, whether it's uh, broadcasting or backpacking. If I can backpack, you can backpack. You, you can do it. Like, this is this is what I, is the podcast part done? Because I, no, I you know what? We're rolling. Keep rolling, baby. I mean, I'm still confused. So you basically put on a backpack with a certain yes. amount of clothes and you just bang around Europe. Exactly. Like I've done it a couple of times. The first time I went for six weeks, which is pretty, that was a long time, but you, you take a backpack, you, you know, you got to get one. No of those plans. I have, I have plans, but you don't seem like the kind of guy who needs plans necessarily. I had a few, like I knew which countries I wanted to hit. I knew kind of the main things, but otherwise you kind of, you just go with the flow. You pack as little as possible. You're wearing the same clothes almost every day. You're washing them all. The time. I'm like the mo- world's most bougie dude of all time. I mean, I just don't know. No. Now, what about, uh, did you have anyone you were with? So the first time I went with my sister, the second time I went by myself, which was a little bit, I had somebody join me for the last week, but the first week I went by myself and I stayed at, um, a hostel a couple times and like nicer hotels. Like if you're traveling by yourself as a woman, it's a little bit different, right? I had to plan yeah, I can imagine. in advance, but 
yeah, you just go by yourself. And that's the beauty of it is sometimes going by yourself is you meet way more people that way, right? You're kind of forced out of your comfort zone. So yeah, it's like, you can trust me. Okay. I'll, uh, I gotta, you know, I gotta wrap my head around it, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to pull the trigger. Yes. It was funny, but this weekend I had a guy be like, yo, man, I, sometimes I'll just go to like a country in South America by myself. Right. Like, Are you nuts, man? But I also think for me, like, not to sound arrogant, but like I'm kind of a large human being. Well, <laughs> also, I like stick out like a sore thumb. So if I'm just yeah. banging around, like, feel like I've got a bit of a target on my back. I was going to say that might work against you a little bit because even yes. people, people might recognize who you are, but even if they don't, you will stick out a little bit. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that I can't help you with. That's, that's yeah. a sort of danger. But I feel like I in guess. Europe though, I would be, it'd be, might be a better situation. Okay. So note to self, when Luke Wilson is your guest on a podcast, do not book any meetings at all for the rest of the day because he is the kind of guy you want to talk to forever, Al. Dude, I could have sat there for what seemed like the whole weekend and just asked him questions about football life and like the visibility behind the curtain a little bit, right? And, and like his his memory of the specifics of specific plays blew my mind. Like, because there's a lot of really specific detail. You think about how many snaps are in an NFL game, and then in an NFL season, and then in you know an eight year career. The fact that he had that much attention to detail, I mean, it shows it was it's just you know something in there in his brain that is uh, it is it is captivated by by the technical aspects of football. It's really, really cool. Very cool. He was great. He is a super interesting guy, really easy to talk to. He has a philosophy degree I was reading the other day. So I don't know. I just love his he's just easygoing and just has a great outlook on life. And obviously we wish him um, the best with all his health and all of that, a new chapter for him going forward. I'm excited to see uh, where he ends up going, but man, we sure, we sure thank Luke for showing up on our podcast. Our little, definitely, interview. definitely thank him and his frosted tips. <laughs> his frosted tips. <laughs> um, and I think that that does it for us, Al. Here we go into the first uh, big weekend of the NFL season. We've got a few bets that we were kind of mulling over thinking about. So we'll have to see yeah. how it all unfolds. I have written down that you like the Chiefs at minus five and a half and you like the Bills at minus <laughs> six and a half. So we're going to evaluate your betting performance next week. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of cool just to, you know, look, it adds a, an aspect to the game that is, you know, it's not about thousands of dollars whether it's a dollar or ten thousand dollars there's a there's a feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you're cheering and your team is down by a few points and you need them to win it's just a it's a feeling that's unlike any other so let's uh, let's be clear that this is not about revenue generation this is about enhancing the fun experience of watching uh, a football game Uh, and i will be watching and enhancing my experience all day on sunday totally all right we think i think a lot of people will as well thanks everybody for uh giving us a listen and uh, have a great weekend we will talk to you next week see you later you're listening to the oh come on sports podcast with me natasha sanashevsky come on now